Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, Patrick. You know, when I was doing all this research for the coffee show, I came across a, a word, Java file. Um, in all of my years of drinking coffee and reading about coffee, I don't think I've ever come across this word, but it makes sense. Java file, somebody who obviously loves coffee. Java file or Java file? With a, with Java, J-A-V-A, okay. like coffee. Yeah. Know, kind of coffee, Java okay. file. Um, would you consider yourself a Java file? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't I know mean, that we could be friends. <laughs> well, now we are. Now we have to make it work. Come on, we have to make this work. So, so Java file sounds like it's, I mean, maybe someone that is so into coffee that every, all things coffee. We have coffee I'm assuming you have coffee. I know you do. Every day, I have coffee every day. I use products that use, I mean, make pastry products, our company that uses coffee. So maybe I'm a Java file, but I, I don't know. Are you? No, I, I think you're right. Um, I love coffee. I have it, you know, first thing every single morning. I have to have it. It's the first thing I do when I get out of bed. I go straight to my kitchen and start my, you know, brewing process. Um but I'm, am I obsessed with all things coffee? Do I need to go to like craft coffee shops constantly and only have the best blends and only drink a pour over because it's the purest form of drinking coffee? I don't think so. But I do love coffee and I love the flavor of coffee. I mean, I'm one of those people, if I see coffee ice cream or coffee buttercream, um, I'm always going to order it. It's just, it's a flavor that I really like, especially sweet coffee. Um, I know the reason that a lot of people don't like maybe coffee flavored ice creams or buttercreams or cookies or stuff like that is because they're purest when it comes to coffee. They don't want any sugar. Coffee's amazing. So it's a great flavor enhancer and it's, it's great on its own or enhanced in the cup. Do you remember your first coffee drinking experience? Uh, it's not very exciting, but I do. I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I was working many years ago as kind of a young pastry cook guy at a, at a restaurant called La Bia Ritz, a big restaurant. And I was so tired. I'd never had coffee in my life. The chef said, wake up boy. I said, what? He goes, have a cup of coffee. I said, oh no, 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 no. I, I don't drink coffee. Well, have a cup. So I did. And I went, huh? So the first, my first impression was, uh, it had, it was coffee with a little bit of cream and no sugar. And it was good. And it woke me up and I thought, okay. And from then, I, that's, I drink coffee every day now. It was amazing. Now, let me ask you, how old were you at that point that you had your first cup of coffee? You're not going to believe it. I was like 24. Wow. Yeah. It's really I, interesting to me. I mean, I have a complete opposite story. I mean, I grew up in a coffee drinking household. My mother is 87 and she still probably drinks about 10 to 12 cups of coffee a day. She's literally addicted to it. And it doesn't affect her at all. Never has, obviously never will. But I was much younger. You know, I was about five when I had my first cup of coffee. And um, it's so funny because I still basically kind of drink it the same way today. My grandmother on my father's side, my father's mother, um, came to live with us for a short time when I was about five. And she had come here from Hungary. And Every morning she would wake up and she would be up super early before the rest of the house and she would brew a pot of coffee in one of those old-fashioned coffee pots that sits on top of the burner and also a pot of steaming milk and she would mix the two and that's how she would start her um, day off every you know morning. And so when my brother and I would wake up and come down, she would prepare 
which is now probably known as Cafe Olay, these large mugs of coffee that were probably about five, six parts steaming hot milk with about one part of coffee and three heaping tablespoons of sugar. <laughs> and my brother and I just thought it was the best thing ever. And oh, truly, yeah. I think my love affair with coffee was born and I've, I've had it probably every morning ever since. Now, I don't use quite as much sugar these days. I do <laughs> add a little bit just to kind of curb the, the bitterness, but I still love my coffee um, brewed and or pour over with lots of um, steamed milk. Hmm. Yeah. So my mother used to have coffee. She'd be drinking coffee you know, every day as I was a kid. And, and I recall she'd make it, but back then it was just, she'd add some milk, but it was cold milk. She didn't heat it up and it would just bring the temperature down a bit. And then she'd put in sugar. And so it's just kind of a sweetened coffee drink, but I have one other really quick thought many years ago, you know, countries are different in how they approach it. Uh, even though your question was about us on our first cup in South America, I ordered some coffee at a restaurant and he, he asked how I wanted the coffee. And I said, just black, you know, cause I figured, you know, I'll add something to it. He looked at me and looked at my friend and he, he kind of winked and laughed and he came back with the strongest cup of coffee. I couldn't, I almost spit it out. It was so <laughs> strong. He says gringo, like America, you know, because <laughs> they do probably what, what you remember, like six, five, six parts of, of, you know, some kind of a milk blend or something into the coffee to, to bring it to where it would be drinkable. So that was an interesting wake up call to coffee. Oh yeah. I'm not, I've never been able to drink my coffee black ever. It's just not, it's not pleasant to me, but I get it. You know, people who <clears throat> are purists like to just taste the nuances of the bean. And, and that's fine. Um, I mean, that's why I don't believe that I'm a true Java file because yeah. <laughs> just give yeah. me a cup of coffee, steamed milk and a little sugar and I'm a happy person. Yeah. But you know, you've also with pastry, cause you've got an amazing pastry background. You probably use coffee in a lot of different desserts. What are some of the ones you like to make using coffee? You know, I do, you know, I use it first of all and foremost, um, I'll use like an instant coffee to, add to chocolate desserts because, you know, as we both know, um, you know, adding some espresso powder or coffee powder to chocolate really kind of brings out that chocolate flavor. It's kind of like adding salt. Like you don't add salt to things to make it salty. You're adding it to give the recipe balance and amplify the flavor. So yeah, I definitely do that. I love, one of my favorite things in the world is like either a Swiss or a French buttercream. And I love espresso flavored buttercreams. I literally can just take a bowl of it and a spoon and eat the whole thing plain. Um, <laughs> I like it, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, I pretty much probably use it in those ways. Like I'll make an espresso brownie, sometimes an espresso cream cheese frosting pairs really well with banana and zucchini and items like that. I think it's absolutely delicious. People, you know, might see like a zucchini loaf with like an espresso, like drizzle on top of it and be like, that might be a little bit weird, but it really works. I, no, I find that it amazing. really works with yeah, a lot of different things. I'm not a huge fan of, I mean, the, you know, the most classic obviously would be tiramisu, the Italian pastry with mascarpone mm. and, you know, lady fingers. I just happen not to be a fan of tiramisu. It's not one of my favorite desserts but it's probably the most classic use of espresso or coffee in a dessert. How about you? 
Well, before I tell you what I do with it, I, I, you mentioned that buttercream. Uh, you know, there is a company, uh, it's called uh, FedEx. You can always send me over a couple of the things you make, including that zucchini <laughs> loaf. <laughs> I wrote that down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that with a drizzled uh, cup. I, I think- All right, stop stealing my ideas. I'm no, hold on. I'm not done yet. I have a couple more questions. <laughs> so, and actually, you, we may have you come out and consult, so don't, you yeah. um, <laughs> I would say, I remember the very first time I ever- actually used coffee in a dessert. It was, we called it a mocha cream cake or something. And it was millions of years ago with the Marriott and the French chef uh, showed it, you know, he, he taught this for me and he says, okay, take some instant coffee, uh, reduce some regular coffee, add that into the coffee, make it super, super strong. And then he would put it into, in his, this case, kind of a, they called it a shaboost, but you know, kind of a, pa- mm-hmm. a pastry cream. Yeah. And uh, then we did a, um, a coffee buttercream on the outside. It, it was very good, but I, so that's what I remember. But I, I would say buttercreams uh, quite a bit. Uh, brownies, it really kicks up a brownie where you put in just enough, um, as you described it, just enough to, to bring out the flavor of the chocolate without them saying, wow, is this a coffee chocolate brownie? Because it's almost a secret little weapon put in inside, I think. It's, it's amazing. I got the idea from you on one of the cookbooks that you wrote on uh, extra coffee, uh, freezing it into coffee cubes and then throwing it in your coffee blend or your, your cold coffee drink in the morning that you're, you know, whipping up. So yeah. 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 That's a great thing to do with leftover coffee. Don't pour it down the drain. If you haven't, you know, drank it in time. I like put it into ice cube trays, keep it in my freezer at all time. And just like even in the summer when you're making iced coffee, instead of adding just ice cubes to your cold coffee, which will eventually water it down. If you don't drink it quickly, why not just infuse the flavor with coffee ice cubes? Coffee shops, coffee drinks, coffee-flavored ice cream, yogurt, granola, caramels, chocolates, cakes, and cookies. Everywhere you turn, it seems to be there, and it's certainly not diminishing in its presence. A rough estimate claims that over 2 billion cups of coffee are consumed worldwide every day. Every culture in every corner of the globe has coffee ingrained in their traditions, society, and daily routines. And America is no exception, and boy, do Americans love their coffee. Did you ever wonder how that steaming hot mug of deliciousness was born? We did too. On today's podcast, we invited Jesse Brenna from Rockford Coffee in Bozeman, Montana to enlighten and inform us on all things coffee. Jesse is a master roaster and the man behind new blends, roasts, recipes, and styles of coffee offered at Rockford. Full disclosure, I've worked with Jesse Brenna at Rockford Coffee for the past year. He roasts all the coffee along with the owner, Ryan Wilson, um, at Rockford Coffee on Main Street in Bozeman, Montana. I mean, I adore many things about Jesse. First and foremost, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet, and I love nice people. Secondly, I admire his passion for his job in all things coffee. He's the perfect person to answer all our coffee questions in easy-to-understand simplistic terms, and we are thrilled that he is with us today. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us about coffee today. So say hello to my co-host, Patrick Honeywell. Patrick, great to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you too, Jesse. Thanks for being here. I'm excited. Yeah, of course. I'm excited. I'm excited as well, yeah. Is this Coffee 101 or is this Coffee Advanced uh, 110? Oh, my word. Maybe a little of both. I guess we'll, uh, we'll see how the conversation goes. Yeah. 
Well, from my end, it's still Coffee 101, even though I pick Jesse's brain constantly at work and ask him a million questions a day. But, but before he takes us on our journey from bean to cup, Jesse, let me just ask you what I just asked Patrick before you arrived. Do you remember your first coffee drinking experience? And if so, tell us about it. Not very vividly. I think the first time I probably tried coffee, I was 10 or 11 or 12 and just grabbed some out of a pot of coffee that my dad had. Um, so that was probably the first experience. I do know I did, did not like coffee when I first tasted it, for sure. When did you start appreciating it and loving it and drinking it on a regular basis? I would say towards the end of high school, beginning of college, um, I definitely started appreciating it more and kind of started dabbling with trying espresso and, and getting more towards kind of how I drink coffee now. Yeah, which brings me to my next question. How do you drink your coffee now? What's your favorite drink? Favorite drink, what I drink nine times out of 10 at work would be just an Americano, mm-hmm. uh, two shots of espresso with, oh, I don't know, four or five, six ounces of hot water, just to kind of make it more of a drink and less of a shot and kind of tame a little bit of the, the espresso flavor. So you know, I find it interesting because, you know, my, I bake for Rockford Coffee. I, I'm, I do all the, not all the baking, but I do some of the baking for Rockford Coffee. And my little baking area is right there um, in the center of the store next to the baristas. So I see them and hear, I hear the customer placing their orders and I see the baristas making the coffee all day long. And I would say that probably the most popular drink I hear being ordered on a daily basis when I'm there is the Americano. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that is? I've never personally tried one because I am not an espresso fan, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm always amazed at how many people order it every day and they order it black because I will hear the barista say, would you like milk or cream in that? And I always hear this adamant, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think part of that is at Rockford, we have such good espresso. We really do. Slowly with every batch of employees, I feel like Americanos become the, the favorite drink as well. And I, I feel like some people, they want the, maybe they want an experience similar to, to a cup of drip coffee. They don't want to have milk or milk alternatives and kind of have, want to have a similar experience as drip coffee, just not drip coffee. And, you know, if you go into any coffee shop, you don't know how old the drip coffee may be. It may be 10 minutes old. It may be quite, really quite old. But with an mm-hmm. espresso, you know it's less than a freshly minute old. Brewed. because they right. Yeah, freshly brewed. Yep. Oh, interesting. You know, I never thought about it like that before, but that's true. Like it's, it is a freshly brewed cup of coffee for the most part and, and doesn't take as long to wait as maybe a pour over. Yeah, correct. Yep. Well, we'll get to espresso later because we do have some questions regarding that also. But Let's start with you. How long have you been with Rockford? I've been there about a year in May. When did you start? I've been with Rockford over three years now, like three and a half years, probably. Gosh, I didn't know that. Did you come in as a roaster or did you come in as a barista and then get promoted to roaster and start learning? I came in as a barista and I pretty clearly expressed interest in roasting like in in my interview with with the owners. So I came in as, as a barista and as far as roasting, I've been roasting probably about two and a half, three years, something like that. Were you trained by Ryan or did they send you away to like a roasting school? So there are roasting schools. There are places where you can become officially certified 
As far as training, though, it was through Ryan and it was through one of the uh, previous roasters that was there as well. So it was a lot of hands-on experience. So Jesse, tell us what exactly does a coffee roaster do? So a coffee roaster takes the, you know, takes the green beans that are sitting at room temperature. And the long and short of it is, is you're bringing it up to temperatures around or exceeding 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it's a very simplified version of that. There's lots of uh, moving parts and in time frames you want to do with that. But um, yeah, you're just bringing the, the coffee up to temperature. So Jesse, I have a quick question. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to imagine, I'm, I, went, I went to Rockford to look for you and Stephanie and I said, hey, where's, where's uh, Jesse? Oh, he's roasting up some coffee in the back. If I walk back, what, is a, what does a roaster look like? Is it giant? Does it rotate? Kind of walk me through that or walk us through that. I kind of like to visualize what you go through. Yeah, definitely. Um, our roaster is a, a Dietrich roaster. That's a company out of Idaho, out of Northern Idaho. And it you know, has a big chute on the top and it's, the roaster itself is probably about seven feet tall, I would say. Um, our roaster isn't a huge roaster. It's something that has, let's say, a 20-pound max capacity of green coffee going in. But um, it's a drum roaster, so the, where the coffee roasts is in a drum where it's constantly rotating with, um, with the flames, with the heat around it. Uh, so it'll go in the chute, be roasted in the drum, and then at the end of the roast, you'll open up the front and the coffee will fall out into a roasting tray where it'll have air moved through it and be cooled that way. Do you think that anybody can become a coffee roaster or is there some special skill needed um, to really know it? I mean, it's considered to be both like an art and a science. I mean, what do you really need to have? Is it about your palate, your sense of smell? I'm just trying to figure out like, is it like cooking or baking? Like, you know, I know that, you know, it's said that most people like, you know, chefs can be trained, bakers can be trained. But I also think that there's that line between those chefs that will be these amazing, super successful, extremely talented chefs, and then just people who will always be cooks. I mean, do you think the same can be said with like roasting coffee? I would probably say so. It's like the comparison you made with cooking or baking. There are basic actions that you're performing and there are steps that you can follow um, with coffee roasting. You can, you know, have a profile set on a computer and you can make the adjustments and follow those and, you know, produce results. But um, probably a big difference that makes in, in cooks and cooking and baking is having an amount of passion and in caring about the product. And um, as far as having a palate or a taste for coffee, um, you know, you can, you can roast coffees and you can get them into a certain um, temperature range. And if you don't like coffee, you could call it good and pr- produce results in one way. But to have a, a taste for coffee and, and a desire to make adjustments and, and tweak the coffee, I think, is crucial to becoming a better roaster. Because you can, you can take a good coffee bean and you can produce a lot of different things with it, with how you roast it and little fine details of how long you develop it or what temperature you drop it at. And, and where the palate comes in is I'll roast a batch of a new coffee on a profile that I think will fit it and then tasting it and trying to make adjustments to bring out certain flavors more, or maybe there's a little bit of an off flavor that um, was part of how I roasted it. So 
So I do think to some extent anyone can roast coffee, but I think there needs to be some amount of interest or passion to really um, produce better coffee and uh, good results. Right. And some creativity too, because you're also known for your blends, like knowing how to blend different beans and roasting mat. So, I mean, that has to be an art too, knowing which ones maybe will pair better than others with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, and knowing, you know, certain base things about where the coffee came from or how it was processed or the altitude and um, just little factors that do play into whether you're doing a single origin or a blend, getting the best, most balanced cup that has the most, you know, good personality. Are there beans that you feel should only be part of a blend and not single origin or just like, I don't know if that's the proper terminology, but let's just say, I don't know, there's a bean from the bean from Ethiopia. Is there one that should always be paired with others to bring out its flavor and maybe is kind of just boring on its own? Or does that all come down to the roasting? I would say probably not. Um, good high quality coffees will have a lot of personality and a lot of things to bring to the table. Blending is is kind of gives the roaster the opportunity to really balance things out and you know bring in if you want to have a chocolatey flavor and a fruity flavor, then you kind of know which coffees you can bring bring into that. Um, as far as blending. I mean, if, if you're working with lower quality coffees that really have certain harsher tastes that you might try to roast out of them and kind of bring them into a streamlined flavor profile that isn't very interesting, that's, that's a place where maybe I would say, yes, that coffee probably should only be blended. through the step and then we'll get to the different types of roasts and like light, medium, dark, different, the two major beans that are used. Um, The seed is planted, the tree grows and the tree takes about four to five years before the plant, the tree can bear fruit. The tree bears the fruit and then it takes a total of about nine months for the coffee cherries to be fully mature and ready for harvesting. Once they turn red, they can be harvested is that true? And then when you crack open to that, do you crack them open and then they're green or is red considered green in terms of it just not being ripe yet? I'm not quite sure I understand because you refer to them as the green beans. Right, right. As far as when they're talking about uh, being fully matured and red, you're talking about the color of the cherries that are on the outside of the coffee beans. So that will be the indication uh, for harvesting. On the inside, I... I believe the the coffee beans themselves will be they will already be in that green lightish brown color. There are a hundred different coffee species, um, but two primary beans are pretty much used to create all the coffee in the world today, um, and that's the arabica and the robusta. And um, we use arabica beans, correct, at Rockford? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, only arabica. Yep. And then robusta again, which I found really interesting, is considered a lesser quality bean that produces a lesser quality coffee, usually made um, the grocery store brands, if you will, will use that. Um, Talk to us about Arabica versus Robusta um, and why the poor Robusta gets such a bad rap. (laughs) Yeah, a part of it is the plants themselves, the Robusta, they're hardier plants. They're able to withstand insects or diseases more. They have a 
a better immune system. And with that comes certain natural chemicals being released that can give a lot harsher or more bitter flavors. Robusta, I believe Vietnam is a is a heavy producer of Robusta. They're typically a little less dense. I believe they typically grow a little faster and less dense and faster growing coffees typically have less flavors, um, less flavor. Something Robusta does have is usually a much higher caffeine content. But the reason why grocery store brands or perhaps Folgers would would use something like Robusta is um, they're going to be taking their roasts so much darker. And the darker the roast as a whole, the less personality the coffee has. So they're able to bring those up to a dark roast where it really can streamline a lot of those flavors and get into more of the classic coffee bold flavors that people would associate with with some grocery store coffees. Okay. Yeah, which brings me to the next point. Um, I remember when I first started wa- working at Rockford, we get free coffee every paycheck. It's called Paycheck Coffee. And I remember my first you know, Paycheck Coffee, Jesse coming up to me and saying, hi, what would you like is your Paycheck Coffee? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and he's like, every paycheck, we'd like to give you a pound of coffee of your choice you know, from Rockford. And I'm like, oh, that's lovely. It's a great perk. And it allows us to like try different flavors. And so I said, I don't know. Can you suggest one? He's like, well, what kind of coffee do you like to drink? And, you know, I said, I don't like anything too strong or too bitter, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, and he goes, you know, and then I said, we started to talk about the roast. And he's like, is this a light roast or a medium roast? And I said, well, I guess I want a dark roast, right? I mean, isn't that supposed to be the best? And he's like, no, you know, actually it's probably the opposite of that. Like the lighter the roast. And I mean, I know I'm paraphrasing and I'm putting words in your mouth and you can clarify, Jesse, but you were suggesting to me that pretty much the lighter to medium roasts were actually going to give you like better flavors, more interesting flavors. And I guess I was just thinking, you know, as somebody in the culinary world, you know, when we roast things, it brings out the flavor and the darker the roast, the more intense the flavor, you know, it caramelizes and brings out, you know, you think of a roast or a steak that's been, you know, roasted until golden brown, a deep bronze color or a caramel that's been made to a deep brown color. Um, so I would have thought maybe coffee would have, you know, taken on some of those characteristics too, but it's not so true. So t- tell me and Patrick and everybody listening out there about the roasting process, light versus medium versus dark. Yeah, the the light and the medium roast definitely have a lot more traction in the craft coffee world. Uh, dark roast can kind of get a bad reputation in the craft coffee world. I think it's having a comeback and people are understanding that you can roast dark roast better. But kind of same thing with searing a steak or or making a caramel sauce. You the deeper the flavor, deeper the color, the richer the flavor. I think that's kind of applies to coffee as well. Um, if you roast things too dark, what you're doing is not less so making it a deeper, richer caramel flavor and more burning it. Um, because in in the roasting process, you are definitely caramelizing sugars, and it comes to a point where you're no longer caramelizing and you're carbonating, I suppose. So with, with the light roast, 
you're still going to be getting the caramelized flavors. Um, light roasts can often maintain a lot of sweetness. You get a lot more fruity personality in the lighter roasts than you do going darker. So as far as, as the roasts, light and medium roasts, I, I definitely feel have more, uh, more to offer. They have a lot more unique flavors. Dark roasts can definitely be done well, but um, you are to some extent kind of burning. You are producing flavors that a, po- a lot of people like and a lot of people look for and appreciate. They want the, the bold flavors that come with that. But, but on, the lighter, on the lighter end of things, you're, you're getting a lot more personality. And if you have a high-quality coffee that you're using, it's going to have a lot of flavors to offer, and you don't want to necessarily hide that behind a dark roast. That makes a lot of sense. It reminds me, um, Stephanie, I'm sure you've, you've done this, where you're making a caramel, and it's a little too light. And you're trying to bring more flavor into it. You're, it's getting there. And then if you go too far, it starts to burn, and it, it loses everything. And even with a, you know, like the burned almond or, or nuts, you, you really want to roast them, get that flavor going, get the caramelization, but you can't take it too far. It makes sense in coffee too i mean i guess jesse um and you wouldn't i I mean obviously we're not here to bad mouth anyone or to pin anything down but we kind of know and i you know without naming names we know where the dark roasted coffee you know gets its bad rap from um you know years ago when these certain chains of coffee shops started opening it was all about this very dark dark roast and you either liked it or you didn't like it what would the point be and I mean, obviously you don't work for those companies and you can't speak for them. But in your opinion, why do you think that whole wave of over-roasting coffee came to be? And what, what would have been the point of doing that? Was it because they were indeed using lesser quality beans or were they just starting to try like some new kind of fad? I think part of it would be lesser quality beans. Um, and I, I think too, probably more of the tradition at least in the States, it, it's been for decades, is the coffee was roasted darker. Um, I think in, in our culture, lighter roasted coffees are, is more of a new thing. So I think people's expectations for the coffee are to, to be on the darker end. And, and like I, I said earlier, I, I think roasting darker is a good way to streamline uh, flavors, kind of take away the personality the coffees might bring to the table. And if they don't have a lot of personality or they have off flavors, I think that's a, a good way to do it. And it may not be necessarily that they're using lower quality coffees. That's just, you know, the reputation those companies may have and it, it works well for them. So they may not really see a reason to reason to change. And on, on the flip side as well with lighter roast being, a lot more trendy and a lot, a lot of what the craft coffee world goes to. You can go to the other side where people are under roasting or underdeveloping the coffee. And um, on that side too, if you're underdeveloping, you can kind of end up with, with less personality because you haven't given the, the coffee the temperature or the development time to really bring out this personality as well. Oh, that's interesting. I never even thought about under roasting. (laughs) 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 
it's like that caramel, uh, Patrick, that just you know, doesn't quite cut it. <laughs> it's like, oh, you turned it off and it's not even caramel yet. Oh, I can't use it. <laughs> you have corn syrup. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, you know, lighter roasts supposedly have more acidity than darker roasts. Is that true, Jesse? Generally, yes. Generally. And is why is acidity a good thing in that cup of coffee? Like, what does that bring to the cup? It helps bring balance, definitely. I think in in the world of food, you know, acidity may be something that's that's missing that tames, you know, yep. bitter flavor or savory flavor or or helps balance out saltiness as well. So it, it really can help balance out the the cup uh, with bitter flavors. And to some people's palates, like some people just prefer very bright acidic coffees. Jesse, does the caffeine level increase or decrease as the, the roast gets darker or lighter? I mean, does it have any effect on it at all? The caffeine content will decrease the darker the roast gets. Which takes me to my next question, decaf. Um, you know, I noticed, and I think I just brought this point up the other day to test one of our baristas. I'd heard somebody order a cup of decaf coffee or ask if we had decaf coffee. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, like I've been here for a year and I do not think that I've heard anybody order a decaf (laughs) coffee. I'm like, that's so interesting. Like it just struck me as really weird. And so, you know, when Jesse got there, I said, hey, talk to me about decaf. Like I've noticed that somebody ordered one today and I noticed people don't. I, you know, lived in New York City for 28 years. And I can't tell you how many of my friends and coworkers drank decaf. They swore the caffeine was making them crazy and they couldn't have it after like 10 o'clock in the morning or they were jittery. Um, it was a big thing um, in New York. Um, here, I don't hear it at all. Just talk to me about decaf. How's the process differ? Um, is it lesser quality beans also? I mean, I know it wouldn't be at Rockford if we offer it, but can you just give us a little bit of insight? And what constitutes a decaf coffee like how much caffeine is still left in the bean yeah yeah as far as caffeine content you can't remove it all there's always going to be some amounts um it may be five or ten milligrams uh, per cup which is you know significantly less if it wasn't decaffeinated but um definitely at least in in our shop it is not it's not very decaf heavy it's got to be oh, I don't know, less than 5% of the coffees ordered is decaf. Uh, definitely not a culture where a lot of people drink decaf. Um, even in the evenings, people will still go for caffeinated stuff. But as far as uh, decaffeination, that's not a process we do at our shop. Roasting the coffee comes to us already decaffeinated. And for the longest time, coffee was decaffeinated through a chemical process. That was kind of the only way of doing it, you would use a solvent methylene chloride, I think is what it's called. And it's been used in stuff like pain stripper. Um, <laughs> and it is FDA approved. Huh. Yeah. Um, it That's is, like the lye solution we put on our pretzels. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. It is, uh, it is deemed safe for consumption, but still, you know, obviously people would rather not have something like that in their in their coffee. So the coffee, the decaf coffee we get is done through a water process. Decaf has a reputation for less flavor. And part of that is just inevitable. 
uh, through the decaffeination process, you are, you know, washing away a little bit of flavor as well as the caffeine. So, okay. Getting back to the roasting and the beans and so on and so forth, just a quick question. Two of my favorite coffees that I'm drinking now from Oxford are Ethiopia and then a new one that you just added, I think, El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Um, I love them both because I, like I said, I'm, I don't love strong coffees. I'm also one of those people that gag, yikes, ugh, put a little <laughs> bit of milk and sugar into my coffee. I have to. I've never been able not to. Um, there's a bitterness and obviously that has nothing to do with the beans that you're using or your roasting process. It's any coffee, whether it's a cup of Folgers, a cup of Starbucks, a cup of Rockford, or just something that I'm making in my own home. I always detect a bitterness on my tongue that can only disappear if I add a little bit of cream and just a little sugar. And I'm talking just a little sugar. I add literally maybe, you know, a teaspoon or less um, to a full cup. And somehow that just mellows it out for me. Um, and I, the thing I love about the Ethiopia and the El Salvador is that it is so lovely and mild to me. Um, they're two of my most favorites. But my question to you is, they're both light roasts. Could you roast these to a medium or dark? Or do you bring in a bean and say, okay, this really just has to be roasted light. Like we shouldn't go any further than that with this one. I think it would be very unlikely that we would roast one of those coffees darker just because, you know, those are both such high quality coffees that they have flavors that uh, we don't want to hide. We would want to highlight through, through lighter roasts. The Ethiopia, most craft Ethiopias are roasted on the lighter end of things because Ethiopias and African coffees in general bring a lot of, a lot of fruity flavors and you bring out more fruity flavors on the lighter side of things. So with those, I would not personally want to roast them darker. There is definitely a window of, of temperatures that I would look at um, to try to bring out what I think is in the coffee. Um, it's kind of like I'm trying to make the, the coffee the best version of itself it can be. And I'll, I'll play around with development, um, how long I develop the coffee for or temperature to kind of find that. And usually... Usually it is going to be on the light roast side of things. Sometimes it, it does get up towards, towards medium roast as well. Do beans get stale? Um, is there an expiration date on them after they've been roasted? I mean, I know they're still whole. So I know with spices, you know, like again, in the culinary world, we, we always tell people or suggest that you always buy your, your spices whole and grind them yourself because you'll get a fresher flavor. Is that the Definitely, same thing? Yeah. Coffee beans? That's a great question, Stephanie. I was thinking that, but you're smarter than I am. You've got it in there. <laughs> as far as expiration dates, most, most places won't put an expiration date on their coffee. Um, they'll, most craft coffee shops will, or co- craft coffee roasters will put a, a roast date, the day that it was roasted. And coffee, I think it definitely can go stale. You definitely, there, there comes a point where you do see the flavor go down a lot. Um, you, you, it does taste stale. It does become more muted. It is definitely going to the whole spices versus ground spices. You are definitely preserving flavor by grinding at home as opposed to something that's already ground. Now, if you 
grind it poorly, then you're, you know, kind of ruining that flavor that was preserved by a bean whole bean. But as far as, you know, when I think coffee is at its peak flavor would be one or two days after it's been roasted, it needs a little bit time, a little bit of time to rest. And then really that first two weeks or so, I think it's at its best. And I think probably after a month, you would start to see the coffee losing its flavor and personality. But if, if you're looking at coffee on the shelves, you can still get you know reasonable tasting coffee. This maybe been sitting there for a couple months or a while. So, Right. Well, and I think the thing that people don't understand, especially if they don't live in towns that have these craft coffee shops and stuff like that, they might not know what really good coffee is supposed to taste like. You know what I mean? Like if you're a town and you've grown up on a, a grocery store brand that's been on the shelf for could be months that has been ground and packed into these cans, you think that that's what coffee tastes like. And then you you go and you have a really good cup of coffee and you're just like, wow, like they never knew that there could have, you know, could have so many nuances. And, you know, as you said, the berry flavors and the caramel notes and the chocolate notes. I mean, it's like wine for the most part. Um, I think that people won't ever understand that. And I don't know that you can convince people too that you know, especially since, you know, craft coffee is so expensive, you know, what you pay for a cup of coffee, sometimes you can buy a whole pound of coffee in the grocery store. <laughs> That's definitely, you, you mentioned to me, the only place to get a good cup, I have to drive all the way from California to Bozeman, on Bozeman, Montana to get a good cup. <laughs> Rockfield, I think, yeah. <laughs> well, if you're in California, I think you probably have some really good. Yeah, coffee. some pretty good ones. Jesse, <laughs> um, also, one more question about beans, and then we're going to get into the grinding because I want to talk to you about that, like grinding it at home and maybe the special equipment that you need. Um, you know, another thing I think that I'm feeling really stupid too is that I don't know that I ever actually realized that almost the, all of the majority of the coffee drinks in these craft coffee shops or coffee shops are espresso based. And I don't know why. I don't know why was they know that a latte is espresso. I know cappuccino is. Those are two, really the only two that if I'm not ordering just drip coffee or a pour over, those are pretty much the two, I don't know, what would you call them? Like specialty drinks uh, perhaps that I drink because I do love steamed milk and my coffee. Even at home, when I make it in the morning, I always steam my coffee, my milk first before I add it to my coffee. I love the warm milk in it. Um, but I don't know why, other than cafe au lait, which is another drink that I'll order again, again, because the steamed milk, I guess I never realized that all of the drinks are espresso based. Um, so that brings me to espresso. So all espresso is coffee, but not all coffee. Coffee is espresso. So is it a different coffee bean altogether? Is there like an espresso bean that grows? Or again, is this just, is it an Arabica bean that is just roasted a certain way to make it espresso? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So there is no specific different variety of bean that's an espresso bean. It is all coffee. And and what makes something espresso is how it was extracted or how it was brewed. What's the biggest difference in taste to you, Jesse, between a pot of iced coffee made with just brewed coffee and then a cold brew. Like, what do you see the biggest taste difference being? Obviously, I always notice that the, the cold brew is much clearer. It's not mm -hmm. as good looking. Um, but what about taste? I would say, 
you know, if you brewed a, a pot of coffee and threw it over ice, you'd still certainly have an iced coffee. Cold brew is, I think, a lot cleaner taste. I think you maintain a lot more of the flavor. It's a lot smoother. I think texture-wise, it's a lot better. I think typically anytime I've taken you know, a thing of hot coffee and just poured it over ice, it, it usually has a drying effect on my mouth. So texture-wise, it's, it's not as good. Um, so I would say those would be the main differences. I think you can, you can maintain a lot more flavor through cold brewing. Mm-hmm. I have a regular, I don't know, um, OXO coffee maker at home right now, which I actually like. I think it's really great. I also have, I mean, I have many different ways to prepare coffee and I never seem to be able to make my coffee taste as good as it does when I go to like a coffee shop, obviously. Um, and I'm, like I said, I'm using great beans or something like that. I'm missing something. I grind my own beans now. Give us a few tips here. First of all, first and foremost, I think we all know the answer to this, but you're going to suggest that we always buy our beans whole and grind them ourselves per cup or per pot, correct? I think that is always a better, better answer. So definitely grinding at home is, is the better option. Coming from the culinary world and knowing that, you know, I prefer to grind my spices fresh every time I use them and the, and the difference in flavor is just enormous. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're going to buy like two pounds of ground coffee and it's going to sit in your cupboard or your pantry for like six months, and by the time you go and use it, you know, after six months, it's probably not going to have a great flavor to it. Yeah. You know, there are yeah. many different burr grinders on the market today and, and they're relatively pricey. I mean, most of them mm-hmm. go for at least about $150 and up. But I think that they're worth it, especially if you're a true coffee connoisseur. Like if you love coffee and you appreciate it, you know, invest in it. I mean, I've had mine for several years. It still works perfectly. You know, I love it. Now, I know that you're a fan of the pour over. I often mm-hmm. see that at work. Talk to us about that. I do have a Chemex. Is Chemex or Chemex? Is it CH or Chemex? Is it pronounced? I, I believe it? it's pronounced Chemex. Or Chemex, excuse me. So the Chemex, which you see everywhere today and almost every single coffee shop <clears throat> sells them also. Talk mm-hmm. to me why that's your preferred way to prepare a cup of coffee. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to how I brew coffee at home or, or tips for brewing a coffee at home, I think two big factors are going to be consistency and control. Something you really have brewing through a Chemex over using a Mr. Coffee Pot or whatever is the amount of, the amount of control you have, the amount of water you put in, the amount of beans you put in, the temperature how the water in, interacts with the coffee because there are certain methods, certain techniques you would want to use when doing a pour over to have you know, the, the water contacting with the coffee in the most even way possible. So Chemex is, is definitely what I prefer at home. I think the reason I always mess up is because I just never know the proper ratio of coffee to water. You know, I try. It's like sometimes I do two tablespoons per one cup, and then people, then other people will suggest that you do equal parts coffee and equal parts water, which is a little bit strong for me. That's why, I mean, I usually do two to one just in my general coffee making. Do you have a preferred ratio of coffee to water that you use? Um, I can't really speak to using a, a uh, drip machine. I haven't 
No, it's even a pour over, yeah. For for a pour over, I typically do one part coffee to thirteen parts water. So if I'm going to parts water, mm -hmm. okay, Hmm. some somewhere around there. So, like for instance, I made a a Chemex this morning, and I had thirty grams thirty grams of of coffee that went in. So I added three hundred ninety grams of of water, and I think that's a fairly good starting point for for a pour over. Some people like to go down to like one to 10. Some people like to go up to even like one to 16, 17, 18. But for me, that's kind of where I've landed, where I think I'm not missing out on anything that the coffee has to offer. You know, Jesse, I'm glad you brought it. You, you explained it that way because I like to measure everything in grams and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't with coffee. I'll have a little, you know, tablespoon type mm-hmm. scoop and I might, it's maybe it's more rounded one day. And then right. I'm a little flat and it's never like, you know, when like Stephanie knows and she's expert at baking, weighing everything is so important. I never thought to do that with coffee. That makes so much sense. You know, using a gram scale. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely like baking in that way where you need to stick to the recipe to more, more than you do in cooking. I'm definitely, I'm more of a cook. I like the freedom cooking has to offer. Baking feels a little restrictive, but uh, when when it comes to coffee, you know, if, if you want to have consistency in, in results or, or even just upping quality in, in what you brew at home, having a scale is, I think, a really great first step. And, and that's a, an inexpensive step for a lot of people to take. They may already have a scale at home for baking or if not, you know, it's a, a $20, $30 piece. But that can really help bring a lot more consistency into your, into your coffee, yeah. Jesse, how do you feel about, you know, using a French press at home versus a pour over? I think French press can be done really well. I have a French press and I use it every once in a while. Um, French press is, I think if, you know, somebody was looking to, you know, try making coffee at home and they've only used a drip machine and they want to, they want to try something and have a little more control. I think French press is a good way to start. Um, I think... Technique is important on not getting it gritty. You can you can get a really nice, smooth texture out of a French press. You do get a certain degree of control, less so than pour over, but I, I, I like French press. I think French press can be done really well. Patrick, have you had pour over coffee? Well, now, here's my naivety. When you say pour over, I'm thinking that you put the little individual... What is it? The little uh, filter, what, and yeah, the, yeah, in the mm-hmm. cup, and you do you pour it straight onto that, and that's your pour over. Is it is it different than that? Well, the well the Chemex, which we were just talking oh, about, okay, I don't have the one. vessel, and then you put the filter into the Chemex and the coffee into the filter, and then you pour the hot water over. Yeah, you don't put just the filter into your coffee cup, and just, I mean, I guess maybe you could do that, but I don't think so. Um, but the thing that I love about it so much, yes, it's time consuming, and you do need all this. Because it does take a while. What does it take? Like a couple minutes to, I mean, well, I mean, obviously if you brew a whole pot of coffee, it takes longer too, but you have, you know, six or seven or eight cups of it. Um, this is per, although you can do more on a Chemex also. You can make like four cups or whatever, six cups. You could do more, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely larger. But it takes a little bit longer and a little more patience. And again, you need this extra equipment. But the flavor difference is huge. I mean, one of the things that I don't love about the French press is that, Again, just as like we were comparing cold brew iced coffee to 
just regular brewed coffee. It's like a muddy flavor versus a clean flavor. And anytime I've ever made coffee in a French press, to me, it tastes muddy and thick. And I mean, again, I'm probably not measuring correctly, but... Mine does too. (laughs) Mine does too. And I make it that way every day. So I don't want any more muddy coffee. I'm going to get a Chemex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but uh, you will taste a difference (laughs) that is huge. It is so... And the only word that I can use is clean. I mean, I wish I had a better word to describe the flavor and also the clarity of it. Like it looks so nice and clear. I love the look of it. And I think the taste is amazing. But go ahead, Jesse. Sorry. I was going to say, as far as French press, the technique I use and the technique I would suggest to anybody is uh, go on YouTube and there's a gentleman named James Hoffman. He's over in the UK and he has a a French press technique that is definitely, definitely different. Definitely not um, how most people would make French press, but it produces a really, really clean cup. And I've never had a muddy cup of French press using that technique. It involves like skimming with spoons like skimming some stuff off the surface it's it's definitely a bit more work than you know putting your coffee in and putting your water in and waiting a few minutes but but i would recommend that to anybody as far as you know you have a french press and you want to get cleaner cups and you want to avoid the muddy flavors with a french press oh that's a great tip i have no i don't know who he is i mean as soon as we hang up i'm definitely going to um take a look at that because i do have I have a couple French presses. I mean, people give them as hostess gifts. Like I have several of them in my apartment. And again, anytime I've ever mm-hmm. used them, and then I, and I, of course, I always get browns in my cup. <laughs> Somehow <laughs> they make me with a press. Aren't you, aren't you supposed to get grounds? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, this is so exciting and so interesting. And like I said, I am, Again, I didn't realize how little I knew about coffee until I started doing pastry in a coffee shop. And I was just like, you know, and I'm one of those people who loves to ask questions and likes to know everything about everything. So, you know, Jesse was always my go-to guy and I love the way that he explains things. And again, you can just hear how he knows so much about it. He's so knowledgeable. So we're going to just do a little quick quiz with Jesse just to see how knowledgeable he is. Um, All right. Him a test on, you know, you walk into a coffee shop, there's the menu in front of you. Usually not always descriptions, just names and prices. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness, what's the difference between Americano and a macchiato and a cold brew and a nitro cold brew? Um, and you, you sometimes feel stupid asking. You want to act like you know what you're talking about, and that you're cool and you order something and it might be the wrong thing. So Jesse, we're going to ask you to demystify that coffee house menu a little bit. And I'm going to throw out All right. the names and let's just see if you know exactly what they are. We've already talked about pour overs and cold brews. Obviously cold brew, I don't know that we got into the details of it, but again, you literally are just like soaking like uh, ground in cold water and then just training them, right? Is that how it was going down? I remember having a kit years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cold brew, the big um, the big things that make cold brew cold brew will be, um, you know, you're not using hot water. You're using chilled or room temperature water and you're brewing it over a long period of time. So you're brewing, the coffee is going to be sitting in that water for, let's say, roughly 12 hours. And then right. from, that you get, from that, you get a concentrate, then you will pollute it with a little more water and, and that's your end result. It's delicious. Now, what's the difference between a cold brew and a nitro cold brew. 
So the nitro cold brew, we're going to be using the, the same stuff. We're going to be going through the same process of how we brew it and then diluting it. And then with the nitro, you're going to be infusing it with nitrogen. Basically, you're going to be using kegs and infusing it. And the, the flavors will be similar. The real thing that people just love about nitro is the texture is really silky. Um, the flavors stay generally the same, but the texture is really silky and smooth and... Almost creamy. It's creamy, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love it. I love it. And we usually only do that in the summer, correct? Yeah, yeah. That's more of a summer thing for us, yeah. So I'm counting down the months until we get back to that because Lord knows summer doesn't get to Bozeman until about August. So we'll Well, it's warm here and and I've never had one of those nitro brews. I'm going to... Oh my goodness. That sounds amazing. The next time you go to a coffee shop, definitely. Um, and they don't serve it over ice, too, because it comes out super cold, right? Because mm. of the nitro. So it's typically yeah, never served yeah. over ice, yeah. Um, and some people prefer it over ice, but if, if you throw it over ice, you're going to kind of... <laughs> you dilute it, right? You, right. Kind of, you kind of negate the infusion and you take a little bit of the <laughs> texture out, but... Hmm. Well, figures. I like my nitro extra cold and I love my coffee extra hot. Two things that Jesse's against. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we know what espresso is. You've discussed that. And we talked about Americano. And Americano, again, is basically just espresso that's been watered down a little bit, correct? Yep. Okay. What is a macchiato? A macchiato traditionally is going to be um, espresso with a dollop of foam. So it's typically... How we serve it is going to be two shots, and then we're going to steam our milk, and we're going to steam it extra foamy, extra dry, and take a dollop of that and put it in. So it's a similar to a cappuccino experience as far as the milk texture, but it is only... Two shots. Two shots, yeah. It's like three or four ounces. Uh, a lot of confusion came with a certain chain starting to um, sell something that they call the caramel macchiato, which... It's completely different and really caused a, a lot of a lot of confusion. And what that is, is more of a, uh, a caramel vanilla latte. Oh, you're right. You know what? I never thought about that. That's absolutely right. I've only heard of caramel macchiatos and not knowing that. And, and I would liken it, yes, to a, like a caramel latte. So the difference between a latte cappuccino is what? Primarily, that's going to be milk textures and that's going to be ratio as well. A latte is a lot looser of a term. You could have a latte, you know, where it's two shots and 10 ounces of milk or two shots and 16 ounces of milk, where a cappuccino is a little more confined as far as ratios. Texture-wise, it's going to have, excuse me, it's going to have drier milk. It's going to have be more foamy. I don't want to put too narrow of a definition. There's a lot of things that a cappuccino isn't. Traditionally, it would be considered like one part espresso, one part foam, one part steam milk. It's usually more on the like six or eight ounce end of, end of the scale. If somebody comes in and asks us for a traditional cappuccino, they're looking probably for a six or eight ounce drink. And you keep using the term dry, wet. And I hear mm-hmm. that a lot. I mean, I hear people say, cappuccino with the extra, extra dry. And I remember the mm-hmm. first time I heard it and I remember asking one of the baristas, I was like, what the hell? Does that <laughs> is, that, is that like a Chardonnay? Dry Chardonnay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
liquid or a martini. I'm like, what are we having vermouth? Uh, like some olives yeah. there. And how do you like, I mean, how is that done on the steamer? Like, can you tell us the technique that makes, I guess, milk more dry than wet? That's yeah. That's just a matter of how much air we pull into oh, as we're okay. heating up the milk. So the, the drier it is, the more air you'll pull in and that produces more of a foam. Whereas how we'll do latte, which would certainly be wetter than a cappuccino. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. pulling less air and, and we're trying to produce like a crude texture, similar inconsistency to wet paint. So. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And then what is a cortado? I hear that a lot also. Cortado. So as far as I know, which I may be wrong on this, but um, it's an Italian word. It means like to split in half. And a cortado is going to be equal parts espresso to steam milk. So a cortado is a four or five ounce drink. It's going to be a smaller drink. And I think more traditionally, it's going to be steamed not quite as hot. You get the milk at a little bit lower of a temperature, maybe something around what's, what you would get if you asked for something kids temp. And that brings out more of the sweetness of the milk as well. Interesting. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, knew that there were so many and there are things like ristretto, a skinny, obviously made with skim milk. I hear that a lot, a skinny. A breve? Breve. Yep. A breve is going to be the same as a latte, but made with half and half. Well, Patrick, do you have any other questions for Jesse? Well, Jesse, it's like, I think you could officially be called our coffee scientist. So much information, <laughs> so detailed. And, and, I, and I'm so happy that I had a chance to speak with you. And thank you, Stephanie, for the introduction. Yeah, and it is really interesting. Like I said, the next time you are enjoying that cup of coffee, maybe now you'll have a better idea of how it got into your cup in the morning. And I think it's really interesting. I, you know, like I said, I never really thought about it until I started working at Rockford at a coffee shop. And I think it's an interesting process. So thank you so much, Jesse. It's been a pleasure. And if you ever have the good fortune of visiting Bozeman, Montana, a lovely little town, um, stop in Rockford and say hello to Jesse. Yeah, definitely. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.